witticism. Colloquialism. Segway. You're such an egotist. Yes. By the way, guys, I'm really humble. Well, how do you do? Now when you get for free. Oh, God, it's awful. Bad Philosophy, episode 155, recorded on August 24th, 2014. The right to... Redacted. This is Bad Philosophy, episode 155, Instagrammer. <laughs> we haven't picked a title already, it's the beginning of the episode. Okay, well it's not Instagrammer then, but, okay. uh, but something else. I'm your host Stephen Torrance, I'm here with Kevin Saunders, we're in a coffee shop again. Uh, new, co- new coffee shop, Where figure, eight, figure 8 Coffee Purveyors in Austin, Texas. Uh, just opened up a few weeks ago. A couple of uh, former Houndstooth baristas, uh, Kathleen and Ryan. Are just uh, they're just killing it. They're they're a couple. They bought the place. They've been eyeing it for a while, and it's. Uh, I literally have no idea where I am right now. It's a coffee shop like on I'm, the east side I'm of in Austin. In a coffee shop. <laughs> but uh, I followed you here in a car to go. Or you were in a car to go. I, I was in a car to go. And I don't I don't know where I am. That's okay. But it's okay. Um, I've got coffee and gummy bears. You you have a right to forget where you are, Kevin. <laughs> well, that's good because I'm an exerciser. Or or maybe you don't. Uh, <laughs> so. I have a right to forget. Do I have a right to make you forget where I am? Exactly. Uh, that is the question we're going to be unpacking today. So back in April, the EU made a court decision and, and also implemented a policy uh, that has been colloquially termed the right to be forgotten. Uh, there's a. I mean, we're going to have to oversimplify this incredibly. <laughs> there's there's a. To, to say this is a complicated issue is is a. A gross understatement, but but it's not bad philosophy without a susan of oversimplification. <laughs> exactly. Um, but today we we sort of like to, to take a look at the right to be forgotten, you know, from an a priori perspective. Mm-hmm. Look at some opinions on it that that have come out already, um, and there are many opinions oh, sure. on on yeah. both sides of this. Because it, while it may seem intuitive that this is a good thing, there are implications for the right to free speech, freedom of expression, mm-hmm. um, something we value greatly here in the United States, um, so much so that it is the first amendment to the Constitution that we decided to implement. Have you ever noticed the First Amendment has like three sub-clauses it, within it? It does. <laughs> it does. I mean, I like the First Amendment, don't get me wrong. It does a few things. But yeah. it's like this and that and this and kind of that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously this is a... I mean, it's an interesting topic, in our opinion. So mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna try to break it down a little bit. Um, I figure to to begin with, let's let's kind of let's look at what the European legislation came out of, and then what it what it allows one to do. Um, essentially, this the the case that set the precedent for the right to be forgotten started with a Spanish lawyer in the late 90s. Uh, we, should, we should probably just say his name because I want to. Uh, yeah. And under the, under the circumstances... Uh, Go for it. Mario Consteja Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. He had um, fallen behind on a debt of some kind or his property was auctioned. Essentially there was, there was an article about um, the court case that had that he initially had gone under mm-hmm. um, so property foreclosure. The property for, foreclosure. That he, you know, he was not too keen on on someone finding this on the first page of his Google results, mm-hmm. and so he actually, I believe, he sued Google um, that that they were um, 
that it, I, I'm not sure under under what provision he initially uh, sued if them. I but I guess I would say something like libel or uh, yeah. defamation of character, um, all of which are much stronger internationally than they are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., it takes a lot to make a libel case. Yeah, um, and stating stating things that are true will never get you in trouble for libel. Right. That that falls under the same freedom of the press, freedom of speech sort of thing in the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that's not actually true in a lot of other countries. Um, for example, Canada just portraying someone in a negative light can potentially be um, libel, libelous. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not libelous is the right word, but at least defamation. Uh, which is why they don't have any successful, they don't have quite as successful a uh, satirical news presence as something like uh, the U.S. does. Right. The Daily Show and Colbert Report are just as big up there as they are here, even though they have their own, I think it's called like the Half Hour News Hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. All the Canadian fans are going to yell at me right now, which I understand. <laughs> well, um, I, and and so, I mean, without getting into the, I mean, libel and defamation are related issues, and, yeah, and yeah. obviously this issue intersects with a lot of other rights that we may or may not have and that are protected in different ways in different countries, uh-huh. but the the court ruling by the European Court of Justice was essentially set the policy that, that um, Google was required to remove not the original content. It was okay that the original content about Consteja's um, property foreclosure stayed on the internet, but Google was required to move the index link to that information. Yeah. Um, but only for the uh, for people in the country um, of origin. Yeah. Right. So so Spain. Right. Or the EU in a broad sense. Yeah. Right. So that folks searching from Europe. Um, looking up Carlos Consteja's name, would uh-huh. not find this information as easily yes. through Google. Yes. They could still use Microsoft Bing or Dogpile or any of yeah, these other, Duck, you Duck, know, DuckDuckGo, any of these other search engines to locate it, um, or simply uh, use a VPN. I say simply, use a VPN. To be fair, it's pretty simple <laughs> nowadays. It totally is. It takes is. a browser plug-in and a button click. Viper XPN. Lo- Ola. Viper VPN. Love them. Go get them. They're amazing. I use, I use Ola. Ola. Whatever. There's VPN services are cheap and easy to get set up. Yeah. You can make yourself look like you're coming from another country. Go to Google and find the page. Now, coming out of... So after this, Google responded. I mean, there was an uproar that, yeah. that this was going to cause a flood of requests from various individuals doing many nefarious things that we actually do want to be found on the mm-hmm. internet, and that it constituted censorship for these people to be able to pull down references to that information because, because they didn't want it. essentially Google is the entry point for this. If you remove it from a Google index, it's very, 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 very unlikely that anyone will even know to go looking for it. Unless, unless right? they're actively looking for something. In, yeah, unless VPN they're being like investigated. But the, 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 the kind of the point of this court ruling was to was not to prevent someone from finding out this information. It was simply to make it more difficult mm-hmm. for it to be located. Because Which this, was successful? Yes, <laughs> I mean, potentially. Um, <laughs> which gets us into kind of the, the, the first kerfuffle that followed this, this ruling. Mm-hmm. Um, as Google received a flood of these uh, requests for takedown, not surprisingly, <laughs> um, media publications were 
following the request because these are public records. Yeah. What is being requested to be taken down is a public record. Yes. Because <laughs> it's done. It's done via the law. Right. Like it's by, it's via, not a private entity. Yeah. You know, saying, "Hey, Google, you might get rid of this." They go, "Yeah, sure." No, it's it's they have to. Because they have to go through the, the European court system um, to do these requests, and so therefore. Um, what people were, were requesting to be taken down was then publicized, uh -huh. making it making it even more likely that someone would find out yeah. that... This is, this is um, an, an example of uh, what's known as the Streisand effect. I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show before. No, we haven't, but I was hoping um, we would bring it up. What happened there? The, the Streisand effect um, is, is named for Barbara Streisand, mm -hmm. not some other Streisand you may be familiar with. Um, and it, it came from um, this was this was a while ago. This happened. It's actually got its own Wikipedia page now, which is funny because it lists all the things that fall under the Streisand effect. Um, so the Streisand effect happened when somebody took a photograph of Barbara Streisand's house from like a helicopter. Um, Barbara Streisand said this was an invasion of her privacy and demanded it be removed. Now, this being the internet, what immediately happened was that demand was publicized and everybody who could published a copy of this photograph. <laughs> um, and so the Streisand effect is colloquially, colloquially known as the idea of if you try and remove something from the internet, they will come back a thousand times stronger with more copies of it. Other examples historically have been um, someone cracked Blu-ray or DVD. This is back in the day of digs. Blue DVD. Red. No, it DVD. was, it was DVD. DVD, um, DVD John. Yeah. The uh, the decryption decryption code for mm -hmm. uh, for cracking the uh, the DRM DVD. on DVDs. Yeah, yeah. They, someone someone broke it. Yeah. yeah. And posted it on Dig as well as other places. Yeah. And Dig, in an attempt to not get sued, um, banned this string of 16 digits basically yeah. from being on the website, mm -hmm. which was immediately followed by every Dig user submitting. That 16-digit number. Yes, um, it was it was the entire front page of Dig for a brief period of time. The entire front, and it and it went beyond that. News articles were of course public publicizing this. Yes, people were getting it tattooed on their bodies. Yes, like it, it ended up. It, it, there, there was sort of a decision made mm -hmm. by the internet that this is valuable information that needs to be out there, and that that it it vehemently resisted attempts. Yeah. For that well, to and, be censored. And typically, it's the act of trying to censor it that spurns this on. Right. So it's the very thing that, the, the very act of trying to keep this information from getting out mm -hmm. is what causes it to percolate and right. to expand. Right. Um, with, if that were not to exist, it wouldn't be a thing at all. Um, because nobody cares what Barbara Streisand's house looked like <laughs> until Barbara said you couldn't look at it. Right. Um, now th this is you know initially you might be like yeah you know screw screw the man screw any attempt to to keep information from the public right mm -hmm. doesn't the public have a right to know and and I've seen that mm -hmm. I've seen people come back with that that like this is terrible and I, and I understand you know. that, that that internet vigilantism right <laughs> well and and it's it's been criticized as as on a number of, of dimensions um, a I mean there's sort of separate questions and I want to make uh -huh. sure we don't we don't sort of muddle them one is the question of of do you do you actually have a right to remove either the index to something that the pointer or the information itself um, the other the secondary question should Google have you know the say over how to do this because ultimately they, they do and they they acted very quickly and swiftly um, removing these links um, some people might say that was intentional to sort of show the consequences immediately after the court ruling um, 
and, and in some in some cases even going so far as to remove them globally, you know, yeah. which was beyond the actual requirements of the EU ruling initially. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know people had a backlash about that. Um, news organizations like the Guardian were actually removing articles voluntarily that had information that whose, whose index entry had been requested for removal, mm -hmm. which was not in the scope of yeah, the EU no, ruling either. Also nothing keeping them from doing it, but it, I think it was the fear of... Yeah, uh, and in, in like a weird sort of uh, recursive effect, articles about The Guardian removing articles about this topic were also being removed, so there were like, <laughs> these sort of How removals and meta removals happening. There's turtles um, all the way down. Yeah, so it was even more difficult to sort of get a handle on this. Uh -huh. um, ironically, the Internet Archive, uh, which was storing cached copies of these pages, and even Google itself, which was storing cached copies of, of search uh -huh. results, allowed people to notice that this was even happening at all and bring attention to it, continuing the Barbus Streisand effect. So. There was there were sort of those two questions, right? Like, do we how do we feel about Google having this sort of a, um, authority to enforce policy, yeah. um, either locally or on the global internet? Um, but at the same time, I, I'm I'm really interested in exploring the the allegations that this um, that this constitutes censorship and where really to draw the line between censorship, what, what's perceived as censorship, and just just people's. Not, I, won't, I don't even want to say right, but like a, a social expectation we have is that, you know, a, a bad deed that we did mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, we were, you know, sorry for it. It, it doesn't affect our current life, right? We're a different person, really, mm -hmm. like since then. That those things sh should not surface as easily as things we've done since then. So for someone who's not a celebrity, for uh -huh. someone who's not terribly active on the internet, the publication of something embarrassing like that, this uh, property foreclosure, yeah. is, is the most likely thing to come up under a Google result, even if it is not relevant to their current life. Yes. So Google is essentially making a choice about what is relevant, a relevant component of a person's life. Um, one of the counter-arguments uh -huh. um, by the, uh, the New York Times, uh, this is coming from Jonathan Zittrain. Um, why do I know that name? I don't know. Why do you know that name? <sighs> Sounds familiar. Anyways, um, one of the counter-arguments of this was um, decrying the, really the, the way that this was, was being implemented. Uh -huh. And in saying, don't force Google to forget, he also said, he also made an argument for a, a almost like a curated front page for someone's uh, Google results. So if you're the person being Googled, let's say, you know, okay, you're the authentic, verified Kevin Saunders. Sure. You've linked your Google Plus profile and, you <laughs> That's know. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> to your name. It's the only way to verify it. Um, and let's say Google gives you a way to um, not remove results necessarily from your front page, but to simply have a comment from you appear next to each one of these results. S explaining yourself, explaining the context, maybe providing additional background, at least some sort of a, a um, you know, having a say, right? Sure. That, believe it or not, Google actually did this exact thing for Google News. So academics, um, mainly, were, were those who used it. Uh -huh. If an article was published about a certain topic, they could 
um, actually go into the Google News feed about that result and have comment post comments that would okay. appear, you know, for one reason or another. They killed that feature, <laughs> along with Google News for the most part. Yeah, last time I touched Google News. Right. So Google has experimented with this, but you know, his his argument was that the issue at hand here is not necessarily um, privacy or censorship, but control. Mm-hmm. How much control we have over how we're perceived. Yeah. What do you, I mean, do, do you think that's that goes far enough? I will say, so it's interesting, so the first question I want to I respond to, I think, mm-hmm. is the law as it exists right now is 100% censorship. Um, which, which law where? The, the, the right to be forgotten. In the EU. In the EU. Straight up, that is censorship. Um, and I, I think the discussion of whether or not it is is very misleading. But you're censoring, or, or let's say, quote, in, in this sense, you're censoring an index. You're yeah. not actually requiring that the content be removed. Something is being removed mm-hmm. at the behest of the law. <laughs> that it, so you, it's not a good job of censoring. Mm-hmm. It's not effectively censoring. <laughs> But it is censorship. Okay. Um, and I, I think that that question could almost be pushed off to the side and not matter. Because a lot of people, you know, if, if to use a counterexample, mm-hmm. Paula Dean says something stupid on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, which she did. Um, Paula Dean's not a good example because she pretended to be sorry about it. Mm-hmm. Someone who is more of an asshole says something asshole or something. Glenn Beck says something on the internet. Um, who says lots of stupid things on the internet and things that are offensive and the things that make people angry. Mm-hmm. And anytime somebody says, stop saying that, Glenn Beck cries censorship. Mm-hmm. You're trying to censor me. And that's not what censorship is. That's dialogue. That's, I think you're saying something stupid. <laughs> you're, you say something stupid, I respond with, I think that's stupid. That's not censorship. That's, saying, yeah. I think you shouldn't talk anymore, Glenn Beck, because you're stupid is not actual censorship. Hmm. Censorship is the law coming in and shutting down Glenn Beck for what he is saying. Or mm-hmm. saying to him, if you say these things, we will fine you, we will put you in jail. Um, to be fair, the, the, the uh, right, as I understand it, does not allow you to censor others for something that is unrelated to you. I get that. That doesn't matter. Right, you can only you can only request things be removed that are about you. Yeah, that doesn't matter. That is that is still censorship. Okay. That is that is the definition of it. Is you cannot say these things. You can tell someone not to say something about you. Well, no, you, essentially, no, no. it's it's not me going to Google and saying, "Hey Google, I don't so you're like saying you said it's this. like the act it's at all." It's me going to the law, mm-hmm. the government, and saying, "Google, tell Google not to say these things about." Me. Ah, so so you you think that by because the government got involved, right. it became censorship. Um, to play devil's advocate here, uh-huh. by Go- all means, Google would argue they're not saying anything about you because uh, the result, is, the the search result, mm-hmm. is merely pointing you to something somebody else said about you. Uh huh. So In- you but you call the you call the index posting action speech? Yes. Okay. Um, and and I would I would say it's text um, <laughs> in, in a in an academic sense. In an academic right? sense. Yeah. sense. Um, and so you were saying to Google remove that text, uh, change that text. And it's not me pleading with Google or saying please change this. I think it's wrong that it's there. And Google saying you know what you're right. <laughs> what it is is me saying to Google 
change this, mm. and I have the backing of a legal system behind me mm. to make you do it at gunpoint, more or less. And this so, is. Can we explore this rabbit trail real quick? Because sure. I think this is fascinating. So, like, you. you I, I think it's very straightforward. So I'm curious what you're fascinated well, by. Well, I, I guess um, we we don't tend to think of Google at, um, in those terms as like as um, as presenting, right? As, you know, Google's. Mm-hmm. Um, Algorithms, right, are, uh-huh. are supposedly objective, <laughs> um, right? They're they're trying to surface the most relevant material. Um, they're trying to give me the most relevant material to me. Um, yeah, based on many, sign many, out, many, many. Sign out of Google sometimes and yeah. search for something that you just sign search for where you were signed in. Uh, but more importantly, do it from another IP address. Well, yeah. you can yeah. still, even if you're yeah. signed out of Google, yeah. But the, the the results differ greatly. Yeah, I am much higher when I self Google myself. Mm-hmm. Um, like posted irrelevant to me than if I were somebody else googling Kevin Saunders. What's going to show up there is going to be the Kevin Saunders, the the Paralympic athlete and archer, right? And motivational speaker. Um, so, I, so I guess it's what, not objective. It's it's not because at some point it is it is implementing the subjective decision of the designer of the algorithm, mm-hmm. right? Or of the designers of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, one one would argue that the no no individual posting of search results is the result of one person's or even a group's intention. I'm okay with that. It, it's like indirectly a result mm-hmm. of decisions they've made. So like at what point can you hold Google accountable for those results, right? For for instance, you know, defi- they put them at a domain that ends in Google.com. <laughs> well, I you know I I would certainly agree with this. Um, so, and, and this is this is what gives the the European Court um, the, its thrust. I think is, uh-huh. is they have deemed they have done this exactly. They say no, no, no. Like truly, the the index almost matters more than the than what it's pointing to. Mm-hmm. That that curatorial process does have a tremendous degree of, of power. Yeah, um, that's why they went after Google. Right, um, and. Uh, you know, Google's sort of counter-argument that, you know, will fundamentally change the, the you know, look of, of the internet and everything. I mean, I, I, I am unsympathetic to that. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's have, <laughs> like, I, I think we, this is my opinion here, mm-hmm. so I think we put far too much um, trust and give far too much power to, to Google. We don't realize that they're, they are wielding these uh, capabilities without taking responsibility for their effects. Well, and I think, I think right? you know, your response when, I'm, when I start talking about this sort of thing is, is you know, well, but it's objective and it's the truth and it's Google. Well, it's exa- are, I know, yeah, I know, that, I know, right, I know yeah. it's not exactly what you believe, uh, my, but... Um, in in, in CETA or whatever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's exactly what Google wants to think. Yeah. That's well, exactly that's what, what they, they want, want you to think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, um, sure, I'm sure they're at least partially self-conscious about this. That, I'm I mean, sure they're super self-conscious yeah. about it. <laughs> but it doesn't behoove them for us to be conscious of that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, I, I mean, the, the original point I was making, which is, this is one of the few times when crying censorship is accurate. Yes. Um, and for that reason... I, you seem fairly ambiguous on this topic, Stephen. You're, you're not sure which way you fall. No, I'm still. I'm still. It's really tough for me to, to know mm-hmm. what to come down on this because I I I do believe I I want I want to have some of the um, like I think that the the motivations behind the right to be forgotten are pure, um, and I want to I, I know wanna, I want to bring up examples okay. from this right like what oftentimes people are bringing up in requesting mm-hmm. to be taken down uh-huh. is not illegal activity uh-huh. right these are these are things that are 
embarrassing to one extent uh -huh. or another or don't accurately reflect who they are. Uh -huh. um, what it is is, is this, um, they're, they're attempting to exert some control over how they are perceived. Mm -hmm. Before we had such a reliance on Google mm -hmm. to provide information about anyone in the world, there was much more of a possibility for someone to to craft how they were perceived. Clothing, um, the circles that they, they run in, the um, you know, the things that they choose to to promote about themselves, right? There was there was much more of a of a power for individual expression. Um, that was much more. That was much more up to the individual. Now, someone, like you said, someone could still, you know, do library research on them. They still could, you know, hire a private investigator to follow them around and mm -hmm. dig up dirt on them, whatever. But unless you were a public figure or specifically targeted by someone for this, it was very difficult for the average person to to do that, to, to dig up those kinds of things on you, right? Sort of the there was a secure, there was an understanding that. Almost like a, a a social etiquette about that, and I still have people who are uncomfortable with someone googling them. Right? Mm -hmm. That's that's sort of, you know, what you googled me. That's sort of creepy. It still creeps out some people. Yeah. And yet, this is a perfectly acceptable practice for employers, for you know, friends, for mm -hmm. really anyone. I mean, you could you could Google random names, and you know, you might be surprised what you come up with. <laughs> right? Um, someone famous, someone like a random pairing of names. So that's the thing. Is is it's it's yeah. become is we still have the, the social expectations uh -huh. from a pre-internet time and those are getting you know violently disrupted yes. um, let me bring up you know th this relates to uh, a case from a, uh, a teen recently who was uh, arrested for a comment he posted on Facebook mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a thread between his friends um, they were talking about League of Legends and, and someone accused him of being crazy and he said, oh yeah, I'm so crazy, I'm gonna go shoot up a kindergarten and mm -hmm. watch their you know, blood run down the drains and all this. Uh -huh. And someone reported him for that comment out of context uh -huh. um, because out of context it looks like a threat to actually go kill children at sure. a kindergarten. I understand that. And he was, he was arrested um, mm -hmm. on, with a $500,000 bail uh -huh. <laughs> which was uh, it was posted anonymously, someone got him out of that. Yeah. Um, and he's currently being tried in Texas for making this comment, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, in a, in a forum that he had the expectation was, um, was private and that mm -hmm. it was in a context of a conversation with another person. Um, so it really, like, <laughs> it, it, it brought a very harsh light on exactly what can be perceived as public and private now, right? Yes. So it's much easier for someone to, you know, A, by the way, lots of really disgusting things happen in everyone's life all the time, BTW. Yeah. The point of a civil society is not, is, is to <laughs> understand that those things are happening and, and then ignore them, and then ignore them right? So <laughs> the internet, is, but the internet is making it, as we, as we conduct more and more uh -huh. of those conversations on the internet, um, as more and more of our lives becomes indexable uh -huh. as data, we start getting those those problems where it becomes a lot easier to find dirt on someone. Mm -hmm. And and is there, you know, does does Upworthy do does Google does any of these these sources have a responsibility to be a little bit more tactful about what they publicize? About I, I would say right? I would like them to be. <laughs> I don't think they have a responsibility to be. And I think when we try and legislate it, it gets worse. All right. Um, so, 
you know, take this example of, of this kid who said a, a terrible thing mm-hmm. in jest, um, and I, it's super stupid he got arrested for that. I'm like, that's not even. I would like to say that not that's an isolated hesitant. case, but that many it's cases not. like that exist. And, so. and, and that's, the, that's a bigger problem. <laughs> but, you know, coming to this sort of right to be forgotten, if you Google him and you find that, what you're going to find is not he got arrested. You'll find that. But you'll probably also find all the... Con- you'll find that context. Maybe. Google it. Alright. <laughs> Let's actually... Find- okay, but continue your thoughts. So... <laughs> um, so does he have a right to have that entire incident expunged from Google? Well, let's say, what if, what if he um, what if he is eventually exonerated? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I I guarantee you, the stories about his exoneration are not going to get as much press as the stories about his arrest. I agree. Guarantee. And I understand that because we always sensationalize crime. Yes. We don't sensationalize exoneration. No, of course not. Right? If it bleeds, it leads. Um, and, and I understand that, and that's a larger social issue at play, but I don't, I, I, I'm going to fall back on I don't think trying to legislate it away will be effective, will be successful, or will be even the best way, it would be even close to the best way to deal with that larger societal issue. Propose some alternatives, Kevin. I'm working I'm on it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, and, and yeah. it's... it's um, without going into details, because this is either there is something where someone I know is dealing with this very issue, yeah, um, in in a very different way, um, as vague as I can be, a person I know got arrested for something, mm-hmm. and it made national news. Um, not like CNN headline news, but you know, like if you search his name on Google, it's the first thing that pops up. Mm-hmm. And will be for the rest of his life. Um, that being said, he has since gone to trial and is doling out his sentence, which involves probation, and it will probably eventually be expunged from his record. Mm-hmm. Um, all of which is normal. That doesn't mean it's not going to go away from his Google search. And that sucks. And it's miserable. Mm-hmm. And it is going to follow him the rest of, the li- of his life for a mistake that he made. Mm-hmm. That doesn't that that bad thing though doesn't go away just because it's removed from Google. Mm-hmm. And removing it from Google, although it would be attempting to exert some control over his public image, doesn't doesn't benefit anybody. Mm-hmm. I would argue it doesn't even benefit him. Uh, I mean, it, it potentially benefits him, but there's not a direct correlation to mm-hmm. it. Well, let's let's consider collateral damage yeah. from this sort of stuff. All right, so I, I go, like you you asked, yeah. I, I Google Justin Carter in uh-huh. an incognito tab, right? Uh-huh. So it, it, yeah. Google doesn't presumably know are. that I've already Googled this yeah. and and looked at these articles. Uh-huh. And, yeah. So just just searching Justin Carter. Uh huh. Just his else, name. Nothing yeah. else. I meet him on a street corner first, and I Google him twenty minutes later. The first three. Uh-huh. Pages of results are article after article after article about his arrest. Okay. The first page of images are his mugshot. Sure. Right. And sure. Then, and then images of him appearing on CNN. Uh huh. Um, that's everything that's there. So, what if you're not this Justin Carter? You better be. Fe- you feel pretty good right now. <laughs> Right? This is another one. Because you, you've essentially been anonymized. <laughs> right? So all the Justin Carters of the world yeah. are, are pretty... They, they get... 
they get anonymity, they get obscurity as a result of this because of this other guy's downfall. Yeah. Right? I mean that's that's great for them, but you know, what if what if they want, you know, results to show up about them, right? You know, they have they to say something stupid on Facebook. <laughs> right? So it's it seems to me that that more and more you know having having privacy mm-hmm. having having any sort of control just ends up being an accident of, yes. of you know the forces I would argue that, that be is correct. right and um, there's there's so much less of uh, of an ability to, to mm-hmm. shape this in any way that that it becomes very very and and this is the thing like our you know the laws the laws are supposed to like the, the rights the rights that we're given are mm-hmm. supposed to be there to protect the individual right you know they maj- are. majority rule minority rights uh-huh. you know there's they're supposed to be there to protect this balance and I, I'm you know particularly disheartened when you when you have this lack of faith in the practicality of legislation the, the practicality of court rulings and you know for for Google to come back and say you know to show the impracticality of this ruling is not helping the legislative process or the judicial process craft policy that is effective right mm-hmm. Google is not getting the spirit of this they're just throwing up their hands and saying and going look how impractical this is because it is not in their interest to protect minority rights <laughs> no, it is it is not, not in any way in any in facebook's in google's in mm-hmm. you know the nsa's interest to protect the rights of these individuals big data is essentially yeah. essentially not about the individual yes right Yes, and and uh, I'm sorry. Brief digression on this. Um, Kate Crawford, fantastic um, presentations on this topic recently. She she presented a slideshow um, that was released by as part of the Snowden documents. Okay, um, that was a GCHQ presentation um, about you know the larger issues of big data. Um, showed that even they are having trouble with um, pulling relevant information out of out of these masses of data that they're collecting. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, there have been there have been studies and, and reports on the fact that anonymizing um, PII, supposedly you know submitting anonymized data to various services, is complete bullshit. Um, yeah. As as Dan Gear in his his presentation is his keynote at uh, Black Hat uh, brought up that there are there are essentially statistical patterns that you can see in information if you're saying it's coming from one source which is usually necessary for this anonymization you know mm-hmm. you anonymize out your name your birthday your social you, even your location sometimes but you can't completely remove all the information because you have to have something that's relevant right <laughs> to the database um, it turns out that that even after anonymizing all of that you can see sort of the digital fingerprint of what he calls your your uh, data exhaust right your, yeah. your digital exhaust and that that can be used to identify you to follow you across the internet um, this is the whole metadata argument in the NSA. exactly yeah. um, that that data it doesn't actually matter as much anymore it's the metadata so we don't you know, know who you called or what you talked about. We know, we, we, know, we know what number you called. It was right. Nine hundred sex line. And you know we and you knew, talked for twenty eight minutes. Right. Um, you know every. Well, we month, don't know what you said. Right. Um, you know more and more the the tactics of, of um, you know identifying the the important nodes of a terrorist network mm-hmm. are completely based on network network graphing yeah. of the, merely the connections between people. You don't need to know any of the content that's exchanged to mm-hmm. see who the important people are in the to. network. Right. <laughs> And so, 
all, all those all those things are making it more and more difficult to protect the rights of the individual. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not seeing in any way a maturity around the the legislation that is coming out. Um, the uh, Obama administration did a 90-day uh, review on um, big data, security, privacy. Really good report came out from that um, because they actually included relevant people, Dana Boyd, Neil Dash, uh -huh. Kate Crawford, among others. Um, and it's been heartening to see the maturity of the discussion there, but there has not been policy written, enforceable policy, mm -hmm. um, even attempted in the United States. I think I, I applaud yeah. the EU for making a ruling on this at all, for, <laughs> for going so far as to require something of a company. And, um, and yet, there's, there's folks like we very much respect, such as Cory Doctorow, who fall very much on the side of this is terrible policy because it potentially can influence Google to remove these results globally. The EU has pushed for that, mm -hmm. right? Not just censoring the EU index, but censoring the global index. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I think, so I think we, I think we need to investigate a little bit here because yeah. I, because I'm. It's funny. The more you're talking, the more I think I might disagree with you. Ah, um, okay. It is. Well, what, what, let's let's investigate this this right to privacy. What is um, what is that? Well, okay. And, and where does that come into play? Um, I don't. I don't know if we're exam. I don't know if we want to dive into right to I mean, privacy. We probably don't have the like time for the whole thing. Right to be but, forgotten versus but, free speech. But well, the, the right to be forgotten is very much tied to the, to right, the right to, to privacy. The right to privacy. Yeah. Um, and historically, where where the right to privacy line has been drawn mm -hmm. is you have a right to privacy as long as there is a reasonable man standard expectation of privacy where you are. Which right. is to say, what you, in what you were doing? It's kind of um, yeah, it's activity and mm -hmm. location. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm sitting in a coffee shop. If someone overhears what I'm saying, I don't have a reasonable right to privacy. Exactly. Um, if I'm sitting in a darkened room with no windows, no doors, and no oxygen, I'm going to die. But I can <laughs> say whatever I want yeah. and have the reasonable expectation that nobody's going to hear me, and I have I can be private in that moment. Uh -huh. um, the internet, though, has caused this very weird space. Um, and the the question of what designates a reasonable expectation of privacy is very weird. It's there's it's it's, it's a very spectrum. wibbly wobbly. Yeah. Um, and you know, one could argue that there's a reason. If you know, if I send a Facebook message to you, mm -hmm. ignoring what Facebook can do, ignoring <laughs> the ignoring the fact that they can send that information to other people and that they read everything I type, even if I don't hit send, yeah, which they do, yeah, is the expectation is the reasonable person expectation that I have a right to privacy there? Probably. Yeah. I mean, any any. Any sane individual is going to like, oh, this functions like a phone call, yes. right? Or which also you know, generally you have a reasonable right to privacy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't tell the NSA that. Right. <laughs> um, and and so I think where the for me where the right to be forgotten begins is on the other line of that reasonable expectation of privacy. Right. If I have, if there is, I I have, you know foreclosed a house, you know, my house has been foreclosed upon, that's a matter of public record. That doesn't get to fall under reasonable right to privacy. Okay. Um, I had a bad breakup over a text message. <laughs> it does. You know, if somebody, if somebody steals my phone and publicizes those, yeah. 
that falls out. That that's an that is a breach of my reasonable right to privacy. Mm-hmm. And then, and only then, do I start to feel okay with the potential annexation of those index results. I don't see that being the line. Okay. And because I don't see that being where the line is going to be drawn, where the line will be drawn is, I feel icky about this. I don't want people to see this because it makes me look bad. Yeah. That, that is why I am gut instinct against this, is because I see it overstepping that bound. So what if it's, what if it's something like... Um, Okay, Bradley slash Chelsea Manning. Yes. Right? It's just Chelsea, but that's it's okay. It's just Chelsea, right? For, for those who aren't familiar with the, the fact that she is going Chelsea through... Manning, going, yes. she is Chelsea Manning, Chelsea Manning used to be known as Bradley Manning. Right. And, and anyone who's gone through, you know, that... Gone through gender change procedure, mm-hmm. when you're applying for a job, right, mm-hmm. there could be... An expect, there, there could be, like, a, a bias on the part of um, an employer... Mm-hmm. That when they Google your results, they, they see that it's this as a as an important aspect. You know, this is what mm-hmm. comes up in your search results or whatever. When actually yeah. that has no bearing on your your mm-hmm. qualifications for a job whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There, you know, the the right to be forgotten is is the the right to request that something irrelevant. And and I know that's a that's a very broad thing. You know, and that's that, and that's where the danger yeah. comes from. Um, but but that the. I guess really the question there is, is who decides what's relevant? Exactly. Who do you think it should be? I don't think anyone should have to make that, should make that decision. Uh, that's, why I'm, that's why my line is the same reasonable right of privacy. That's where the line should start. Is relevancy isn't the issue. Because we don't have a designation for relevancy. We don't have a legally defined designation, you know, It's socially defined. Yeah, and we've talked about how consistent social definitions are. Exactly. <laughs> um, I I guess yeah, it's always it is going to be a spectrum, and the I I, I defer to Anil Dash on this one. Uh, he he wrote a, a fantastic article called um, "What Is Public," where he he gives some some excellent examples at the at the beginning, kind of stepping into this topic. Uh-huh. Um, someone could make off with all of your garbage. It's put on the street. It's, it's public, right? And carefully record how many used condoms or pregnancy tests or discarded pill bottles are in the trash mm-hmm. and then post that information on the web along with your name and address. Mm-hmm. There's probably no law against it, right? Uh, how would you feel about... There probably are in some places, but... Yeah. No, trash on the curb is public. Which is in why you certain should, designations. Uh, yeah, so... But okay, yes, but there, there probably are, but yeah. yeah. Let's say that it's... It, wherever you live, that's uh-huh. the case, okay. right? So... Totally possible. If an addiction recovery group mm-hmm. decided to take advantage of the summer weather by meeting in a park across the street instead of the usual church basement, mm-hmm. you could record the entire conversation and post it along with photos of the group's members on the internet in real time. Mm-hmm. You could tag it with the names of employers, fans, and family members to make sure no one missed it. Mm-hmm. Conversations that take place in public parks are public. A stranger could park a drone with a webcam outside your window and live stream video footage of your mm-hmm. house. Of the inside of your house, yeah. because the view from the street is public. This was the Barbra Streisand thing, right? Ooh, that feels creepy that someone took a photo of your house. Guess what? That's public. Someone can look at your house and mm-hmm. take a photo of it and put it somewhere, right? But there's there's a feeling that even if these things are not illegal, that there is a, an expectation that that people don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. That this is this is where this is that reasonable standard of privacy right. comes from. So I think. You know the issue is is that we and, and he really brings it up here. It's not simple, 
public is not simple. Private is not simple. It is a spectrum. And Facebook, Google, etc., are trying to make it a binary. And you know, oh, yes. you know how we've we've <laughs> talked about we binaries. About you know, um, Stephen, I, I, I know we're getting close to the end of the episode. We should probably do the li- we haven't done the thing yet. We should do the linguistic um, labyrinth. So I, I just just I'm gonna get a uh, drink of water from the water thing over here. Okay, and then they will when you return again the um, the thing. Labyrinth. Not to interrupt you, but I th- I thought you were kind of at the end of that concept. Yeah, because we got to do this thing. Right, we got to do this thing. All right, as as per our current rule set, set a timer for 10 minutes. The linguistic labyrinth begins now. No personal pronouns for 10 minutes. No first person personal no pronouns. No first person personal pronouns for 10 minutes. For 10 minutes. So yes, <laughs> the the line of what is public and what is private is incredibly boring. Mm-hmm. And has been for a while. I don't Ah, there you go. Bam. Has not been, is not new. That is not new. Mm -hmm. Um, The Fourth Amendment defines it as, um, it defines that a person has an expectation, it's illegal to, without probable cause, your person cannot be searched. Person and and presence and and stuff. And uh, and home, right? A a man's home is his castle or whatever that that legislation is. Cannot be searched without probable cause or warrant issued. Yeah. Um, You know what's funny? I don't... (laughs) Not even gonna... Not even gonna... Maybe the... uh, Maybe the point of the linguistic labyrinth becomes uh, which one violates it more often. <laughs> who, can, who can say the, word, the wrong words fewer times? Um, Let's find out. Well, what, what exists is, uh, Anil Dash brings this up in the end, what exists is a, um, a differing incentive for companies and states. Mm-hmm. The incentive for companies is to push the, the boundaries of privacy and public as much as possible. Particularly the more companies. Right. The more information is available to them, the more effective they are at advertising. Yes. So it is the the right of the individual is not is not it there's no incentive to protect the right of the individual in in, in a broad sense for, yes. for big data companies. That's that's theoretically where the government should step in. Theoretically. Unfortunately the government is also incentivized not to protect the rights of individuals yeah, anymore. So uh, about that. <laughs> so um, I'm really curious what you what you see going forward. If policy isn't going to protect the rights of the individual, if corporations aren't going to protect the rights of the individual, how is privacy exercised? How is public perception Social exercised? Uh, things like the, the the Tor Onion browser encryption, uh, encryption, anonymity, has, anonymity to, for no reason whatsoever. Yes, <laughs> it has to become a goal in and of itself, with the understanding that neither the state nor the corporations have your best interests at heart. Right. Um, whereas the state may have at one point, and it was potentially generated to or created originally to have your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. Just look towards corporate personhood. They yeah. don't. And with that in mind, you have to take it upon yourself. And I think ah. 
this, this, this is something that, that Cory Doctorow talks about. Yeah. Is not having something to hide does not mean you shouldn't exercise your right to privacy. Precisely. Because um, there fact, are many, the opposite should be true. Right. There are many reasons to, to hide things, right? Yes. There are social reasons, not legal reasons uh -huh. <laughs> to hide things. Um, you know, society is built on that... Um, that interplay yeah. be between what we what we choose to share, uh, damn it, um, what one chooses <laughs> to share. You? Is it two for you? That's two for me. That's three. Three for. <laughs> that's three. It all, should not become a game of making each other say. All tied up. Uh, these sorts of things. <laughs> um, um, continue. That that um, that one one can have other reasons. You're exactly right. One doesn't need a reason. Um, one doesn't need a reason. Yes. 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 Um, Edward Snowden made that exact suggestion. Yep. Encryption works. Use the Tor. This was uh, mm -hmm. also brought up by Dan Gear in his keynote. Use Tor for no reason whatsoever. Just because you can. <laughs> right? Um, even if all you're sending is pictures and it, and of cats. it is getting right? easier to set up. And it is becoming easier to integrate this stuff into your life. Yeah. You mentioned how relatively simple it is to set up a VPN. As, as, as shitty as all of this is, encryption still works. Mm -hmm. If you implement mm -hmm. it correctly, yeah. hard encryption will keep your data private for, you know, now from now until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> as far as we know. As far as we know. Although, as for both of us. Four. There is, um... A very amusing song that might need to be our closing credits. Oh, this is hard. This is. This is MC really Frontalot's uh, Secrets from the Future. Mm. The chorus is, you can't hide secrets from the future. Uh. Uh, just about how, how, as computational stuff increases, encryption will have to increase with it. Yeah. And so as of right now, something that's encrypted right now, as, as he says in the song, by 2025, a children's speak and spell can crack it. Uh, uh, it's, it's debatable. Well, um, it's... There, there are a, levels of encryption you can use that, that will push that time horizon way yes. far out. But yeah, presumably it will. The point is to the point is to push that time horizon past the point that it's relevant to your own life. Yes. Right? Or, yeah. Um, and to make it useless for any agents that might mm -hmm. act against you within your lifetime. Yeah. That seems fair. Um, now... <laughs> one one could argue that the you know genetic history the sins of the father mm -hmm. right we could start getting damn it um, society five. could start getting that um, effect is that if I at six <laughs> if the NSA cracks or Google cracks your encrypted communications uh -huh. your grandson could be embarrassed by something brought up about you yes which um, would which would suck which would really suck and you would have no way of preventing that no. from happening so like your future your descendants rights to privacy could be violated because mm -hmm. okay uh, um broader question maybe related we, we've never been able to record did again <laughs> that's seven society has never been able to record the, the volume and density of information that it can ever before in the entirety of human yes. history. The ability for the human species to remember, to write its own history, has never been greater. Have you, have you 
I know I asked you this last time we recorded. Yeah. Do you ever get around to reading the, the truth of fact, the truth of fiction? No. I'm putting it as a BF Reads. That's one for me. Uh, um, it's a novella, novelette. It's uh-huh. super short. It's a short. It did not win the Hugo this year, although it totally should have. The truth of fact, the truth of feeling? Yes. Yeah. Um, everybody put it on your to-read list. Mm-hmm. Because it deals with, among other things... This idea of how much can be recorded, mm-hmm. and I, it also kind of argues that sometimes that doesn't matter. Oh, um, but in an interesting way. Uh, no, I, I would. Mm-hmm. Crap. I'm really doing that this time around. Okay. Okay. How many minutes are left? <laughs> Two. Two. Two minutes. Great. Um, what's happening though? Uh-huh. The, the tools to do that remembering at yes. scale are only most accessible and and feasible for states and corporations. <laughs> they have the money and the power, right? Respectively, no. um, first, well, both. They both have money. They both and have power. money and power. State can print money. Corporations just have Google. Of Google it. can essentially print money. I mean, <laughs> Google Ads is a money printing machine. Let's be honest. Yes. Um, wow. Amazing. By the way, the data that you generate is gold, everybody. Yeah. Wow. It's worth so much money. Another, another value BF it. read. Yeah. Go find Banksy's uh, quote about advertising. Um, there are going to be so many show notes for this episode. I know. I'm sorry. The Banksy advertising quote is something that comes to my mind occasionally. Mm-hmm. And it's short enough you could read right now. Um, uh, the thing I hate about most about advertising is that it attracts all the bright, no. uh, different one. Um, um, people are taking the piss out of you every day. That's the one. Okay, that's yeah. the one. Here we go. Um, this, this is. We're not going to let this count as the personal pronouns because it's a quote. Yeah. Yeah, that's still one on me. But it gets it Two. gets past the uh, the time limit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a strategy. Yeah. It's a strategy. 35 seconds. People are taking the piss out of you every day. They butt into your life, take a cheap shot at you, and then disappear. They leer at you from tall buildings and make you feel small. They make flippant comments from buses that imply you're not sexy enough and that all the fun is happening somewhere else. They're on TV making your girlfriend feel inadequate. They have access to the most sophisticated technology the world has ever seen, and they bully you with it. They are the advertisers, and they are laughing at you. You, however, are forbidden to touch them. Trademarks, intellectual property rights, and copyright law mean advertisers can say what they like, wherever they like, with total impunity. How f*** that. Any advert in a public space that gives you no choice whether you see it or not is yours. It's yours to take, rearrange, and reuse. You can do whatever you like with it. Asking for permission is like asking to keep a rock someone just threw at your head. (laughs) You owe the companies nothing. Less than nothing. You especially don't owe them any courtesy. They owe you. They have rearranged the world to put themselves in front of you. They never ask for your permission. Don't even start asking for theirs. Someone said that Edward Snowden violated the NSA's right to privacy. This the was time in, limit ended, by the way. Okay. I, just, I had a silent um, I love, this was my favorite part of, of the, uh, the Dr. Rowe debate, which uh-huh. we'll also post a link to in the show notes, yeah. which are going to be incredibly long. <laughs> and, and you know what Do- Dr. Rowe said back to him is like, the NSA doesn't have a right to privacy. They're the <laughs> government. <laughs> They're accountable to the American people. <laughs> true dad, true dad. And I just, I love that. It's like... We we have this asymmetry going yeah. on. 
if anything, that's the through line for this show, is, mm -hmm. is look, there's an asymmetry. Look yeah. where all the power is. And how can we take it back? And, and, I, and I, having dove into this literally this week, uh -huh. um, might have been one of the reasons I chose this topic. Yeah. I've begun experiments with encrypted email conversation with a, a couple of individuals. It's incredibly easy to set up. I'm sure. It's, it's, like, it's like laughably easy to encrypt and, and decrypt uh, email and... Uh, share public keys? Yeah, share public yeah. keys, set up a VPN, um, use Tor if, if you really want to. Yeah. Um, it's, it's incredibly easy to use Tor as well, and it's actually pretty pretty fast to browse most of the internet on Tor and through VPNs. There's, there's, a, there's a misconception that using these tools will be inconvenient. It's not. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, it's not as convenient as it could be, but it's getting there every day, and I, I, I have to say, like, it's it's incredibly heartening, and it, it gets back to like just the the tough demand attitude that Banksy has there. <laughs> it's like, no, these corporations are exploiting you. You mm -hmm. have every right to simply not play their game. Yeah. Um, you don't have to use Facebook. If you want to use Facebook chat, guess what? You can encrypt your Facebook <laughs> communication with another person as long as they're in with you on it. Yeah. There are clients that exist that let you That's use awesome. Facebook complete. I would, you know what would be funny, Kevin? Yeah. Because you, you can put a, a, an encrypted message anywhere. Sure. I want to start putting encrypted uh, posts on my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> That people can only access if you have the key. If I've shared my public key with them over um, over secure email or um, by a thumb drive or something, right? Huh. <laughs> this, huh. this this might happen, <laughs> and just start that. And people will ask questions, yeah. of course. They'll be like, "Why are you doing this?" Because I don't want fa I want to use Facebook, but I don't want Facebook to use but me. But I don't want Facebook to use me. <laughs> I'm fist bumping that. All right. <laughs> Well, Speaking so, of, I need to get in this to get your public key, but um, <laughs> uh, I'll give it to you on a on a flash drive, or maybe I'll print it out for you. There you and, go. And you can uh, you can and shred it, it shred it afterwards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I saw there was a post about like the most creative ways to share a public public keys yeah. at, at some point, and like um, you could like you could sing it over the phone or something, <laughs> <laughs> sorts of things. Or uh, how long is a public key typically? Um, it depends how long you want to make it. That's fair. Um, That's fair. The maximum that you can currently generate on uh, on GPG tools is 4,096 bits, 4,096 characters rather. Yeah. And uh, that has a has a theoretical like crack horizon of like thousands of years yeah, or something, yeah. right? Um, shorter keys like used to be key length was like uh, like 96 characters was considered mm -hmm. a good key. Those can be cracked on a 25-year time horizon. Um, those were the keys we were using 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, thankfully, like the the each each character you add to a key makes it exponentially yeah. more difficult. It's a geometric to, progression. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so using a 4096, like yeah. Bruce Schneier, uh -huh. who is like at the forefront of all of this, uses a 4096 length key. So I was like, well, I mean, if it's good enough for him, <laughs> good enough for me. Um, of course, trust networks That's, becoming extremely yeah. important again. Yeah. Which I mean, we got to wrap up the episode, but I, I, I love. <laughs> I mean, this is a, it's worth. Go read Little Brother and Homeland. <laughs> right. I know we, we, we've mentioned Doctor all the time, but they're yeah. free. Go find them on the internet. Read them. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's What's really heartening about all of this is, um, oh God, what, what was I going to bring up? Um, 
that I mean this is hopeful. I mean we're getting to the hopeful part of this. Like yes. I, I'm I'm thankfully not despairing about this anymore because I've I've found these tools. Um, that it's it feels kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as Dan Gear put it, the the policies of the NSA have turned us all into um, into intelligence agents. Yeah. We're all providing intelligence on each other. Yeah. Um, oh, the trust networks, um, sharing keys, signing mm-hmm. keys, are are very visceral, um, actual digital ways of graphing like who you trust in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, you can. Uh, not, I'll tell you this: my trust network will be much smaller than my Facebook network. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it really it really gets you to ask. Like yeah. it really gets you to think about the the ways of of. Um, of actualizing those networks of trust, yeah. and and thinking about you know signing authorities and certificate servers and all of this is it's an entirely different infrastructure that's mm-hmm. that's run on it and and ways of what's really cool is there are ways of revoking trust right if if a certificate authority or if a particular mm-hmm. key is deemed fraudulent there are ways of revoking that key that are irreversible yeah um, revoking someone's access to your encrypted information or or revoking um, that trust and those those messages spread throughout the entire network so that messages of trust are distributed um, with no central authority mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's becoming more and more decentralized again which I'm always a Yay. fan of decentralization and distributed which there's a difference between decentralized networks and dis- distributed networks yes. um, the internet is becoming more and more centralized again and the ability to fight that totally exists it's totally out there. It's it's free software and mm-hmm. um, and free in both terms, free as in beer, free as in speech. Yeah. So we'll put a lot of links in the show notes. Yeah. This is going to be if you listened all the way through, folks. And if you didn't understand the last twenty minutes, <laughs> that's okay. Um, yep. I, I would encourage you to try to uh, follow those show notes, do some googling. Yeah. Um, honestly, like I, I find a friend. Yeah. Like the best way to learn all of this is just to, to play spy with a friend. And what, I mean, the first <laughs> the first time you send an encrypted email and like decrypt it, you uh-huh. feel like a you feel like a badass. Yeah. Like it just. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and I will say like for an actual like easy to read but interesting explanation of things in a quote unquote real world context. Mm-hmm. Cory Doctorow's young adult novels, uh, Little Brother and Homeland, give you just enough to whet your appetite and yeah. see these sort of things potentially in action in a real-world-ish scenario. Yeah. Um, that make you go, ooh, I want to do that. Right. <laughs> and do it not because you have something to hide, just do it be- because yeah. you want you want to retain your rights. Definitely. Yeah. Because retain your yours. you want to retain your rights to share whatever banal mundane things are going on in your Cat life selfies <laughs> all right thank you very much for listening everybody um, you can go to our website badphilosophy.com to see all the show notes for this uh, there are probably going to be a few dozen I am, I'm Stephen Torrance you can follow me at s Torrance s t o r e n c e Kevin, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter.com slash Kevson. I am on Instagram. I am an Instagrammer with an AR. Um, at the same place, uh, Kevson. It's pretty much where you'll find me anywhere. Uh, I'm, I actually don't have a uh, personalized Facebook URL mm-hmm. um, because I intentionally never got one. Um, hmm. Yeah, back hmm. when that was a thing. Um, hmm. I know, right? It's weird. Yeah, we'll talk about that next time. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to wrap up this this trio of, of shows. We've had a, a pretty good through line, I think. We have so far. We'll, we'll figure something out. Maybe next time we'll just talk about encryption the whole show. <laughs> the philosophy of encryption. Should we encrypt one of our shows? Should oh, we have God. an encrypted episode? 
I don't know. I mean, Let, maybe that's something later down the line. Weigh in at badphilosophy.com. Uh, we want to thank Figure Eight Coffee Purveyors for, for hosting us. And what is your name, good sir? Colin. Colin? Colin. Awesome. Thank you very much for tolerating our banter for an entire hour. <laughs> and for the, uh, the uh, Jimmy Fallon shout out. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag helpful table mates. <laughs> we'll see y'all next time on Bad Philosophy. Now it's an enigma machine. A code yelled out at hot volume to a tin can with a thin string. And that ain't all you do. To broadcast clear text of your intention. Send an email to the government pledging your abstention from vote fraud this time. Next time, can't promise. You don't get a visit from the Department of Piranhas. Be honest, you ain't hacking those. It'd be too easy. Setting up the next president, pretending that you were through freezing. When you're nothing but warming up to do list in your diary. Better keep for a long time and a long time. Better be Firing to the distribution of electrical brains that are guessing every unsalted hash that ever came. They got alien technology to make the rainbow tables with. Then in an afternoon, a glance and have them secrets. Don't resist the loving coats of the mathematical calculation. Heart of your mystery sent free falling to palpitation. Computronal rise up in the dawn, a free agent. Nobody knows the future now. Go find out. Be patient. They're really good though. Yeah. Yeah. Mus- That's why I've been snagging this whole time. Mucilage is a thick, gluey substance produced by nearly all plants and some microorganisms. <laughs> it is a polar glycoprotein and an exopolysaccharide. So if these are, if these are probably actually mucilaginous because they're made of agave, like that could be the, the actual thing that is causing it to be sticky. I think, I think agave is a mucilage. Yeah. I don't think you have to think about it too much.